Hi everyone, this is Takatoshi Shibayama, host of the Future Design Podcast. In this COVID-19 special, I had a friendly chat with Matt Dib, COO of StatFunds, a long-only Bitcoin fund manager, to ask whether investing in Bitcoin makes sense during this quarantine lockdown. Future Design Podcast. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. You know, it's it's always a little bit hard uh, working from home, and you know, I got all this uh, office set up right now, much much more advanced than I had before. Um, yeah. But then it kind of uh, allows me to you know do more things uh, a bit bit better. So you know, it's maybe sometimes you got to look at things you know a bit positively and say, well, at least I got a got a good home home office system now. <laughs> so that's kind of what I'm feeling right, right. now. Uh, yeah. And uh, how about you? So you know, Matt, you're a, uh, a Bitcoin long only fund uh, that started uh, very recently, and uh, you've been in the space for quite some time. Uh, you also ran Astronaut Capital before. Uh, can you tell the listeners? You know what it what it means to have a long only Bitcoin fund, and how you're kind of working uh, through this kind of turmoil at the moment. Yeah, sure. Um, to your first question, uh, firstly, you've 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 heard of hedge funds. A lot of you've probably heard about hedge funds, which is a fund manager that goes in and they're buying things here and they're selling things here across all different asset classes. And maybe sometimes when they think the market's going down, they short it. So that's what we call an active. Fund, you know, they trade up and down with the swings in, in the market. Um, what we do at Stack Funds is we essentially just create a, a vehicle for investors to get into one asset right now, which is Bitcoin. Um, and I guess the reason we do that is because buying Bitcoin in, in large amounts is actually pretty difficult. Still, I know it's been like almost ten years now, but it's pretty difficult. It's fraught with risk, and so we have created essentially vehicles that are full custody and insurance and compliant. Uh, for large institutional investors to come in, and that's long only mean we buy it for them, and then they get out whenever they want. So it's a pretty simple concept, um, but nonetheless very interesting in this time of the market. Uh, to answer your second question, how are we going? I think reality in terms of this whole work at home thing started to hit pretty recently. I think it was last week that it came in Singapore. I think it was. And uh, yeah, not working from an office sort of sucks. I never thought I would say that. Um, you know, like usually you've you've got this grand idea of being able to work from anywhere, but I I did see for a, for a moment some productivity really go out the window. Um, there's too many distractions at home. I live I live alone, but nonetheless there are a lot of distractions everywhere. So trying to trying to remain focused on on your tasks or even come up with the right tasks, I found to be Pretty difficult, and and now I feel like I've 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 become a master at creating lists, okay, and trying to reprioritize these lists. I ordered a whiteboard and whiteboard markers from Amazon yesterday, so I don't know when they're going to come. But you know, it's it sort of changed, I guess, the way that that I work right now. And um, you know, getting out once or twice a day for a run. I think I'm jogging now, like almost eight kilometers a day, which is which is nice. So I'm staying fit, I guess. Uh, that's what boredom does to you. But 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess throughout this whole pandemic, um, Singapore came in a little bit later than some of these other nations have been looking at. Like I've been following a lot of New York because of the markets, which which has probably got the the almost the highest mortality rate now on a, on a per day basis. And I think we sort of saw this whole lockdown phase a month after. I didn't actually think it was going to come to Singapore. Um, I didn't think it would be that big of a deal, and it has. And so, as I said, that reality started to hit. Um, we have, uh, we've got about eight people in our team globally, right? And essentially we've always been worked on, I guess, a bit of a decentralized basis, I'll call it, with people all over the world. But um, we are now using Zoom what feels like six, seven hours a day. So, you know, it, technology right now, I'm really understanding the importance of that. And uh, we're, we're getting used to it. It's, it's just hard to, I guess know how long you can keep your sanity depending on you know whether this is extended or, or what but that's where we're at cool and uh you just mentioned uh in the, in the first question of mine is that uh you know it, it's um it, there's a use or there's a value for having a long only bitcoin fund because of the custody and regulations and 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 licenses and all that uh, can you dig a little bit in, into that you know because uh, most of our listeners probably not that familiar with like what custody means and you know how is that different from like you and i going into a crypto exchange and buying bitcoin yeah okay um, so let's say you wanted to buy, uh, let's say $10,000 of Bitcoin, um, and you're based in, in Singapore, Taka. So you'd go onto an exchange on the internet and hopefully you pick the right one, which isn't, uh, you know, a phony exchange. Let's say Bitcoin, they take another fee. Now, once you've done that process, you've secured and, and, and you own your Bitcoin and that's great. But the problem is, is that when you own that asset, that Bitcoin, it's not like a stock on a stock exchange. Okay. So on a stock exchange, the, the share is registered to your name, okay? And, and no matter what happens to the exchange, the exchange could get hacked or whatever, it's always registered to your name and you can call up the, the, the relevant clearing company and, and make sure you get that certificate. With, with digital assets, it's not the same thing. So when you are holding a cryptocurrency on an exchange, such as, let's, let's just say Binance, for example, which is one of the larger ones, they actually own that cryptocurrency. It's sort of against your name. I guess they tag it with your name, but they own it. Now, if something happened for, to that cryptocurrency, so they got hacked or they lost their, their keys to it, they're not physical keys, but it's like a private key, a seed phrase. If they, if they lost that or misplaced something, then essentially that asset that you once thought that you had is, is gone forever. And that has been such a common occurrence in, in this digital asset market. And probably the biggest reason as to why we haven't seen the level of adoption that we've wanted to in, in retail market. Um, in saying that, there's ways for investors to take it off exchanges and put it on their own hardware wallets. But honestly, you need like a PhD in rocket science or something to figure out how to do that for your average investor. So I guess what we do as, as stack funds is we have created a, a, a process by which uh, any investor can send us funds to a regulated and compliant um, uh, fund structure, a vehicle um, regulated by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. And when we take those funds, we purchase uh, the digital asset um, in, on a, in a compliant manner through a regulated exchange. And then we custodize that asset through a third party custodian. So similar to you are trading stocks or an ETF, there's a custodian that holds the asset and makes sure that it's safe. And we do the same thing. 
On top of that, we also provide insurance. So if something was to happen to that digital asset, was misplaced by the custodian or something happened, it's also insured. So you can't actually, um, you can't actually lose out of it. Uh, I guess to, to add on to that, it's, it's fully audited as well, and we provide liquidity. So if anybody wants to get out of those digital assets, they can call us up or go online and, and do it immediately. So what we've done, to put it simply, so we've taken a pretty complicated process for most investors of acquiring and holding digital assets, and we're putting it into a nice structured vehicle that is cheap and efficient and very transparent. Cool. And your, is your fund available for retail and uh, institutional investors, or is it just uh, institutional? Yeah, sure. So for the time being, it's purely institutional and accredited. So that means $100,000 minimum to, to participate in the fund. Yeah. Cool, cool. And then, uh, you know, Bitcoin, I guess, and a lot of the cryptocurrencies uh, back in 2017, you saw a massive uh, adoption or interest from retail investors mm -hmm. and institutional investors uh, investing in that asset class and drove the price, uh, you know, massively uh, for Bitcoin it went close to 20,000 US dollars. Uh, and it came right back down and down to 3,000. Um, you know, had a pretty volatile, um, you know, movement uh, in, in that year. And then in 2018 and 19, I mean, it's been pretty range bound uh, between 3,000 to like, mm -hmm. let's say 10,000. Um, you know, and, and going into this COVID situation, I mean, how is, how, you know, how is the market kind of perceiving Bitcoin, uh, you know, prior to this, this situation happening? Mm. I think it's it's hard to say that that parabolic rise that you just spoke about that 2017 2018 that was that was pretty insane by by you know sort of uh, anyone's perception. I I don't I hope we don't see that same thing again because it, it's it brings some bad actors into the to the asset class and, and the ecosystem. But what I do believe is that we are going to see there will be an inflection point where we will see a lot more demand for digital assets such as Bitcoin. I'll say specifically Bitcoin in, in this instance because it's what everybody knows um, as a result of what's happening in the world. And, and you know, I, I mean, I won't go too far into it, but there's a lot happening in terms of, you know, the, the, the um, measures that are being taken by central banks in order to combat the economic downturn as a result of, of coronavirus, you know, so we've got stimulus, uh, we've got buying of junk bonds. We've got insane things happening that's sort of unprecedented, has never happened before. Um, and I guess it's going to take some time for that to really filter through to the economy and, and, and for us to all see the result of that. So it's actually quite a confusing time within the markets. And I say that because on the ground, right, things don't look so great. It doesn't matter what country you're in, things don't look so great. But then if you were to log on to your E-Trade account or something last night or this morning and you saw Amazon at all-time highs, you'd be going, what the hell is happening? Like, how does that make any sense? And to be fair, it doesn't really make a lot of sense when stocks are going up and, and everything's getting worse and worse by the week. So <clears throat> it's a really confusing time. And I, I guess what we're seeing right now is a bit more of a reality check for some investors of what are the assets that they think are going to be more of a, a hedge in the future or or if the us dollar goes down and, and things aren't going so great where should i really be filtering my capital where should it be going and 
we've seen the likes of gold go up pretty substantially over the last couple of weeks. We sort of put Bitcoin in the same boat. Um, it's, I would call it the new age gold. It's the millennials gold. I think it's a lot cooler than gold. I think a, a, a shiny rock that doesn't do much isn't worth a lot. But then again, I mean, people are going to say the same sort of thing about Bitcoin. Um, it, it's, it's our belief that, that we will see uh, investors continuing to flock to digital assets and Bitcoin as a result of this safe haven, or as we like to call it, store of value. And, uh, you know, without price predictions, I'd say that we are seeing a lot more interest over the last couple of weeks than we have ever before. Um, and we, we expect that to continue. And Bitcoin used to start out as a digital cash system. And now it just seems like it's a safe haven um, asset, just like gold. And, you know, do you think that would be the same uh, going into the future as well? Yeah, I do. I think at least looking at this extremely objectively, the Bitcoin white paper was, 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 was named basically peer-to-peer -peer currency as cash. It was a method of exchange. I don't see it as that anymore. And, and I think that's one of the great things about Bitcoin. It is whatever you want it to be. But if we, look at, if we look at what it is today and what people are using it for, they're using it to speculate. Okay? And you can say that that's a currency or you can say that it's a commodity or a store of value. What I see it is, is a, a, a store of value. And I believe that because doing transactions on, on Bitcoin is, it's not easy for one, but the underlying currency is so volatile that utilizing it for a method of exchange is sort of insane. If I send you uh, $100 right now and by tomorrow it's down 15%, you'd be pretty pissed, I think. That's a little bit of a problem. When it comes to when it comes to these currencies, so I don't believe that right now it is. It could be in the future. I'm not discounting it, but what we are seeing is obviously that speculative nature of it. Because you've got huge companies that have come into the space. You've got Fidelity. You've got the Chicago Mercantile Exchange trading futures, CBOE. Everyone's coming into this space. Um, it's taken some time and and a lot of growing pains, but it's happening. And so you know, we from from our perspective, I think we're going to continue to see that build up. And it's not necessarily this whole Bitcoin is a currency that is going to bring new adopters in. I think it's more so taking that, that gold route. And just on that point, when you talk about the volatility of Bitcoin, so as I just gave you that example, it's you know, down 10% within a day after me giving it to you. That's exactly what happened to gold in the 1970s as well. Exactly the same thing. So that when it got listed on an exchange for the first time, every three or four days, it dropped like 5%. So we see Bitcoin as really early in that time horizon of being that, that store of value, that safe haven asset. Yeah. And then as the uh, kind of older generations are retiring and, and those people are probably the most believers in gold, uh, and then, you know, I guess millennials and onwards uh, between the, the boomers are looking at this class uh, asset class mm. is a safe haven, uh, just like gold, but even as you say, better. And uh, do do you think that that's kind of like showing in this market right now? Are a lot of people kind of uh, going into the market, going into Binance or other these crypto exchanges, and and uh, you know uh, pouring more money into this space? Do you see that happening during this COVID times? Honestly, the the narrative is there to say that I think it's too soon. I think it's it's a little bit too soon. 
And I say that because there's a lot of nervousness still in the market across every asset class. Um, people don't even know what's happening to property values yet. How can you tell if you can't sell it? So what's going to happen in six months? Do people really want to put their spare cash into, into Bitcoin? Do they want to put it into Apple? Do they want to put it into Amazon? It's really hard to say. What we do know is that liquidity in, in, in Bitcoin and volume has been going up, but not as much as, as one would have expected in, in this, you know, the, the, this correction that's been in the market. So, uh, you know, our expectation is that we, we should see more, more uh, onboarding of, of new investors coming up, but that's out the volatility in the market and, and it can change day to day. As you know, with, with the market like this, whether it's equities or anything, it takes a day or two for sentiment just to flick the switch. And all of a sudden we're, we're back where we started and people were bearish again. Um, you know, who knows whether this is a, a dead cat bounce in, in sentiment and this is just momentary before a big drop or are we re-entering a bull market on the road to recovery? I actually don't know. It's mm. really hard to say. Yeah. And then now the, uh, you know, kind of major currencies around the globe are printing more money and driving down interest rates a lot lower. Um, how do you think that would affect uh, the Bitcoin market? Because, you know, we've been seeing, you know, large size printing of, of cash and low interest rates for the past, you know, 12, de 12, 12 years, ever since the uh, global financial crisis. And it seems like it's going to exaggerate the, the situation, right? Because no money was pulled back in by the central banks and it's only you know increasing in size and and you know there are people out there talking about hyperinflation that might come or even some sort of inflation uh that should come theoretically right so how do you think that would um you know affect uh the bitcoin market yeah i'm in the same line of thinking as to exactly what you just said uh the question really is here is how long is it going to take for people to uh, jump onto that narrative for them to understand that inflation is happening uh, for them to understand that six seven trillion dollars of, of of money has been printed and put into the market to buy top stocks and junk bonds and uh, and and is that going to make everything you know more expensive for them in the long run is it going to lead to inflation or stagflation these things will take a lot of time and it's really hard to say as i said before whether the market can factor them in right now because there are just so many unknown unknowns, as I like to say. Right now, if it was for me, and obviously I'm quite biased, but for me, extremely bullish on, on the asset class, digital currencies, in particular Bitcoin. And we're looking at it, you know, from a perspective of acquiring now, and if it drops, continue to acquire again and again in dollar cost average. The fundamentals for, for cryptocurrency and Bitcoin in particular make so much sense now that if this situation continues to happen and, and Bitcoin, you know, over the next year or two doesn't do well, then it needs to find another use case because it's not a safe haven. So <laughs> it is, it is, Bitcoin is still, nonetheless, it's a 10-year-old experiment. And like any experiment, the use cases for it will change and the meaning for, of what it is will change and the narrative will change. We talk about correlations. If the, if the stock market is going down, the Bitcoin must go up. That's not the case. Bitcoin is extremely uncorrelated in almost every way, at least over the long term, over the last five years, not over the last three weeks. So it's still an alternative asset. When people need liquidity, they'll sell it. If, you know, if they're worried about um, 
if they're worried about inflation, then hopefully they'll start to buy it as we're starting to see with gold and we might see that lag. So to answer your question, I think it's, it's, it's too early to really say because the market and investors have not been able to price everything in themselves. Their, their head's still spinning. They're still sitting at home, bored out of their brains, probably overanalyzing um, paralysis by analysis, as I say, thinking what the hell is going on. Um, and you know that that's the perspective that 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 I think um, you know is 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 happening in the market right now. Yeah, and professionally, you say that you just you know you just don't know what's going to be next. But obviously, you're definitely um, full full on into Bitcoin, right? So how how did you get into Bitcoin in the first place? How did I get into it? Um, okay, so I got into it back in two thousand and uh, early two thousand eleven. I believe it was early 2011. It's so many years back. I was working on a uh, a trading desk in um, in in Australia, and we're trading derivatives. And uh, you know, it was sort of a it's an interesting time because we were reading some articles, uh, you know, going through some investment thesis. We were trading small caps at the time, and some pretty weird derivatives all over the world. And um, one of one of one of my team brought up this this Bitcoin thing, and and I looked at it, and let's be honest, I immediately I thought this magic internet money has got to be a scam, like it has to be a scam. And um, you know, at the time I thought, well, I may as well take some exposure because it's like worth nine dollars, so why not? Uh, but the problem was actually getting into it. So trying to acquire Bitcoin back then was like almost impossible. Um, creating a wallet they didn't have exchanges really back then so you had this like paper wallet that you you had to you know write down your seed phrase on and stuff like that and so i i ended up buying a bunch of it and um like too many investors back then i ended up selling it for you know four or five x so that was uh what probably like sixty dollars or something like that um and uh you know then i rebought back in at 500 then i sold it un- like uh at 300 so i lost money then and it just keeps going and going because i mean you look at you look at an asset class people that are early adopters into it if you were to hold an investment from nine dollars through to let's say twenty thousand dollars at the peak that's almost the definition of insanity okay if you're not going to take some some cream off the top or you've just forgotten about it and for some reason you wake up one day and said oh my god i think i own bitcoin from from that long ago so you know my my foray into it was was back then and geez that's like eight that's almost eight year, over eight years ago now i can't believe well um and things have changed a lot since then i think the me being more of a speculator and more from the investment management background it started getting interesting in 2016 and i started seeing derivatives come into the market and I'm like oh my god you can you can trade a futures contract on this now perpetuals futures contract and now they're introducing leverage and and now you know options and this and that and I thought this market's actually getting pretty sophisticated um, for something that was magical internet money back then and, and used to buy you know um, uh, skins on on games and and weapons and stuff like that um, and so you know it, it's I, I think over the years, my position on it has changed quite a lot. I still look at it from an investment point of view, no matter what. Um, and, and I think that's, I'm, I'm going to stick with that because that's where I see the opportunity within this market still from a speculation point of view. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's my story. I can't believe it's been so long. <laughs> yeah, spoken like a true speculator, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you for your time. I'll let you get back to your work, man.
Um, Thanks, Andrew. I'm sure there's a lot of fun to do. So, um, <laughs> all right. Thank you. Cheers, Taka. Future Design Podcast. This podcast was not sponsored by anyone. It's completely self-funded. So please subscribe because that will completely uplift my spirit for the day. Until next time, hasta la vista, baby.